What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. This is the Bloomberg Business Sports Show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Bond. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Mike Lynch. Today, we're breaking down some legal stories in pro sports. I'm talking about the ongoing lockout in Major League Baseball. The stalemate continues with players and owners far apart in negotiations for a labor contract to replace the deal that expired in December. But first, let's start with the NFL, where former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores has filed a lawsuit accusing the league and teams of violating civil rights laws alleging discrimination in the hiring practices. For more, let's bring in our sports law expert, Martin Edel. He is with Goldston and Storrs Sports Law Practice Co-Chair and a law professor at Columbia. Marty, welcome back to the show, old friend. Michael, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Mike, nice to speak with you. And Scarlett, it's a pleasure to meet you. Let's start probably with the, and I know we use the phrase blockbuster lawsuit, and he's overworked all the time in the media, but this one is. Uh, this one in the NFL with Brian Flores, uh, this has totally rocked the league. Your thoughts, first of all, on the impact of this lawsuit and what it means for the game. So let me start off by what the naked allegations are, uh, what Brian Flores has claimed was systemic racism in the hiring and maintenance of head coaches in the NFL. Um, this is huge, uh, as you just mentioned. Um, whether the lawsuit itself has any gains any traction is another question, which we can get to if you'd like later. But right now, the public relations fallout has to be overwhelmingly against uh, the NFL. That being the case, there are a couple of charges he makes in his suit. Um, he talks about how he was ordered to tank games to get a higher so that the Dolphins could get a higher draft pick. Uh, he was kind of ordered by the owner. Um, he also alleges, and this is the more uh, blockbuster charge, I guess, is that he was only interviewed by certain NFL clubs so that they could check the box under the Rooney rule and that he was not really a serious candidate for the head coach job as revealed by texts from Bill Belichick, uh, the head coach of the New England Patriots. Which charge is harder to prove in a court of law? So let me take it in two bites, if I may, Scarlett. First of all, the, the claim... Um, that Mr. Flores has made about tanking games, it's really difficult to understand why that would be in a discrimination lawsuit. Um, and it's problematic of his entire complaint that he throws a lot of claims in there, and they may have legs to them. Um, but he throws a lot of claims which really have no basis in a discrimination claim but cast the NFL in a poor light. Uh, so if you go to then the second point that you mentioned, which is sham interviews, I think that's what Mr. Flores refers to them in his complaint. 
that could be more significant um, because you have the Rooney Rule. It was a rule that was adopted in 2003 and amended two years ago, which requires NFL teams to interview a minimum of two minority candidates for a head coaching position. If it, if it is the truth, as Mr. Flores claims, which he'll have, he may have the chance to take discovery on if his case survives. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether this was just a series of sham interviews uh, and a number of owners did not have any interest in hiring a minority candidate or if he just didn't stack up with some of the other candidates. Uh, hi, Marty. Again, this is Mike Lynch up in, in Boston. So you use the word traction. Uh, what does this, how does this lawsuit get traction? All right. So a great question. So what Mr. Flores has done is he's filed a claim, which is called a class action. And into it, he's thrown a whole bunch of allegations. You're going to see a concerted effort. Once we get beyond the public relations um, part, you're going to see a concerted effort by the defendant first to say that this does not this is not an appropriate claim for a class action. That's going to delay resolution for a, an amount of time, six months, a year, maybe a year and a half, while the defendants are able to take what's called class discovery, which does not go to the merits. So the case will be in this legal limbo for that time. If it is determined that uh, Brian Flores has a viable class action, then in all likelihood the defendants will move to dismiss the claims uh, under the applicable law, again, delaying resolution on the merits or even taking discovery on the merits for the period of time that the motion to dismiss needs to get decided, probably another six months or so. So as you can tell, we're talking about an extended period of time before Mr. Flores's lawsuit can really see the light of day in terms of whether he's able to take what we call merits discovery or discovery on the merits. And that's only assuming he survives those two motions that I just mentioned. So that's what I meant by traction. If he gets to the point where he can uh, take merits discovery, then there's going to be questions about what information is confidential and can't be disclosed to, of all folks, the media um, or the consuming public. And what is fair game for disclosure? Probably another set of uh, motions and delays uh, before you get to the point at which the parties can get evidence to prove their claims. I want to go back to the Rooney Rule. I remember when this came out, like you said, in 2003, I thought, this is great. This is going to level the playing field and all that. And and all of a sudden, it just blew apart. Uh, Marty, I, I guess I ask, what happened? Why did it blow apart? Well, that's a great question, uh, which I think goes to the the issue that Mr. Flores raises, which is whether or not there's systemic racism in the hiring or maintenance of head coaches in the NFL. As you know, no other professional league has a rule similar to the Rooney rule. 
And why? Because I guess they felt there wasn't a need to have it. You look, for instance, at the NBA. The NBA has 13 of 30 head coaches who are African-American. That's a significant number. Uh, Major League Baseball has, I think, two head coaches who are African-American out of 30. But their African-American player percentage is only about 8%. So, again, the numbers seem to align with each other in all leagues except for the NFL, uh, of those three at least. Um, And going specifically to your question of why the Rooney rule hasn't worked, uh, I guess the answer is, I guess the answer is that some teams only use it as maybe only using it as an excuse, but the NFL cannot mandate the hiring. They can only provide the procedural mechanisms for owners to look at candidates of quality and hopefully hire them. Sounds like the ice cream truck has arrived. <laughs> I, I want uh, I want a chocolate bar, and I want the one with nuts. <laughs> I just want to make sure the ice cream man got all those orders. <laughs> hey, bring me back my change. Everyone in the household is is good with their ice cream bars. Why do you think this is a problem specific to the NFL, not the MLB and NBA? You you told us how the other leagues don't have a need for something like the Rooney Rule. From where you sit, having practiced law and, and covered the sports industry at large, sports law over, overall, not limited to the NFL, what is specific about the culture of the NFL that has led to this that hasn't led to a similar problem in the MLB and NBA? I have pondered over that for literally decades now without coming to a hard and fast conclusion. I'd like to think it is not systemic racism in the NFL. I think the NFL itself as an an entity um, has tried to pave the way for opportunities for people of color, uh, for non, for people who are not of color, uh, but it hasn't worked. Uh, I'm not sure why. Once upon a time, I would have said that it's because the NFL has a group of owners which aren't as varied as some of the ownership interests elsewhere. Um, They had fewer corporations and more individuals in ownership positions than some of the other leagues. But that really isn't the case anymore. Um, and there certainly are very qualified people of color who could be who should be head coaches in the NFL. Marty, um, Congressman McGovern of Massachusetts wants to have hearings on this lawsuit on Capitol Hill. Is that a frivolous exercise, or will that could that help expedite um, the traction of of this lawsuit? So I'm glad you've adopted my term traction here. Yes, I have. That's the key word of the day I'm going to leave with. (laughs) Right. Um, I think it's a terrific way, if Congressman McGovern follows through, of bringing to public attention what will undoubtedly get buried in the minutia of a lawsuit over the next couple of years. So Congress always has the the ability to shine the light on a problem, 
and bring it to public attention. Whereas if, if it's in the lawsuit, yeah, we've seen over the last two weeks uh, the public relations machines, both for Mr. Flores as well as for the NFL and the member teams who are being sued, go into uh, you know top gear. But we've, we've seen a lessening of attention in the press and media in general to the allegations in the lawsuit as they start to wind their way through the legal process. So the bottom line is I think this is a great way of bringing public attention and focusing public attention on what could be a real problem. This is where we check the box. It gets complicated for Brian Flores because he is now saying that the Texans passed on him because of the litigation, but the Texans have just hired Lovey Smith as their head coach, Lovey Smith, another African-American. How does this complicate Brian Flores' lawsuit? So it complicates it in a number of ways. Um, One is that now you have a qualified African-American being hired, which might undermine some of the claims of systemic racism uh, hurled against the NFL and some of its member teams. Um, Mr. Flores' response undoubtedly will be something along the lines of, oh yeah, what they're trying to do is now that I've shined the light on them, uh, they're trying to rehabilitate themselves by focusing attention away by hiring a single African-American candidate. Uh, So you'll have point and counterpoint there. Flores says that the Texans passed on him because of the litigation. And when the lawsuit first came out, there was a lot of talk about how he's just made himself completely unhirable in the NFL. Is that a fair assessment of the situation? By doing this, he can never count on getting a job in the NFL again? I don't think so. You know, to me, it's always... um, I'd like to believe it's whoever's going to be ultimately the most qualified. And if there's a real need, somebody's going to look beyond it. But Mr. Flores has filed a lawsuit. That lawsuit gives a signal to people that why do we want to hire somebody who may not like our decisions down the road and may choose to sue us for our decisions. So teams don't like to buy into lawsuits, uh, And that will be a negative in whether or not Mr. Flores can get hired down the road. On the other hand, I'm a great believer in merit. Uh, I'd like to believe there are teams out there that believe in merit. And Mr. Flores certainly has a good track record with Miami uh, as a head coach. So maybe, maybe um, he will get hired down the road. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's part of why I think he did include that allegation that he was asked to tank the rest of the season because he had two back-to-back winning seasons. His his uh, win-loss record was pretty good and on its own would not necessarily explain why he was fired from the, the Dolphins. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, that's a great point. Um, and... You know, tanking is in the lawsuit more atmospheric uh, than a substantive allegation showing discrimination. 
uh, you know, we had the Browns head coach come out a few days later and say, yeah, I was ordered to tank games too, which he walked back a bit a couple of days after that. Uh, but there's always been some impression, at least in the public, that maybe teams aren't playing up to potential and why are they not doing that? And hopefully that what this will do is encourage the NFL to conduct an investigation independent of the lawsuit into questions of tanking, because that, that is the type of allegation, which if correct would really undermine the credibility of the NFL. You know, I, I go back a generation ago to the Black Sox scandal and it was tanking. Of course, it was done by professional gamblers then, but it undermined confidence in Major League Baseball that took Major League Baseball years to regain the trust of the uh, viewing public. Marty, that's a, uh, the hundred alleged $100,000 per game offer from Steve Ross to Brian Flores is pretty tough to prove. Does that in any way detract from the merit of this case? So I think the answer is yes, because it may become a sidelight issue, which has, at least to me from an employment law perspective, very little to do with whether or not there is systemic racism or there was racism. Racism was a motivating force uh, in Mr. Flores's case. Uh, these are allegations which are independent of that claim. So we're talking to sports law expert Marty Edel. And I guess my big question now is I've got a bunch of baseball drafts coming up in a matter of weeks. <laughs> Am I just totally now off the radar? Because I don't see any movement in any baseball negotiations. Nowhere, no form, no fashion. I was joking earlier before we went on, the only thing that they've agreed to is that we're not going to wear stirrups. And that's it. And and, and I'm like, why do they wait to do this up until the last minute? If, if I waited three hours before I handed in my homework to do it, I would be in big trouble. Why? So I think the answer here is you have two immovable forces, namely Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association, and each is waiting for the other to blink and trying to create pressure to have the other one blink. And so they're playing it down to the wire. I don't have a lot of confidence in pitchers and catchers coming to the training facilities in, what is it, about 10 days now? Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and all of course, all of our fantasy football, uh, baseball picks are going to go out the window here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Barr. <laughs> Talk, you're talking to the commissioner here in Michael Barr. It's back to NASCAR for me. <laughs> I mean, it, it really does sound like a game of chicken. I wonder... Marty, um, if with all the gambling, the sports betting that's taking place, does that incentivize the Players Association or MLB to get to the negotiating table faster? Every dollar of revenue ought to incentivize both sides to get to the table faster. Uh, I think, the, as I recall, the lessons of the last couple of lockouts in Major League Baseball was that it took the fans a while to come back to the stadium. 
uh, that's complicated by COVID and how many people still feel comfortable going into a stadium, even without masking rules or with masking rules. Uh, but if the stadium isn't open, that makes it an easy decision. Well, where will fans turn their attention? Are they going to turn it to other sports that take place during the period April through October? I suspect the answer is yes. People have an insatiable desire to consume sports at some level. And if baseball isn't there, they'll find something else. How tough will it be for baseball to make a comeback? It's historically baseball's always made a comeback, but it's taken time. Marty, last week the Players Association rejected an offer of federal mediation. Uh, we call we all know that the the Players Association's first word on anything is no. But once we get past <laughs> that, it, 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 is that a sign of perhaps a lack of confidence that they may prevail under federal mediation? I don't think so, because federal mediation, like any type of mediation, is consensual. That means the parties have to agree to it. A mediator cannot impose terms, can only suggest terms for the parties to adopt. Now, that said, the Players Association has not had a long and vaunted history in mediation. Um, And in fact, there was some idea that The last mediation they had did not go as well for the players as it did for the owners, so they were a little reluctant um, to engage in that. I read last night that uh, the Secretary of Labor has offered to mediate if the players can't agree on a federal mediation service mediator. Um, I didn't see any reaction uh, as of 1030 this morning to the Labor Secretary's offer. Marty Evil, you just... Shattered all my dreams of trying to draft. <laughs> it's, it's all over now, man. It's like, you know, now I'm going to go back and look at my Willie Horton card. You can watch the Olympics, Bar. <laughs> eh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, NBC's crying. They've been playing with one arm behind their back, and, and Bob Costas said it's the best. I, I just I feel bad for NBC. I know. It's, I, anyway, don't, don't mind me. I'm, I'm going down another path here. Marty Edel with Goulston and Storrs Sports Law Practice Co-Chair and Columbia Law Professor. You are the man, and you are always our sports law expert. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast. Catch us here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. Catch me on Twitter at Bitbar Sports. I'm on Twitter at Scarlet Foo. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCBB. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.